Welcome back to another episode of Taking the Next Level with Luke Miller and Tom Crawford, part of the Crawford Podcasting Network. I'm glad to be back with you guys. We have another episode teed up here, and I'm really excited for our guest. Tom is back, and we're ready to go. Um, we're talking to a really fantastic guy, um, someone who is just so involved in the community right now. And I think he's doing some wonderful work um, in various positions as a member of the boards um, and doing all that he can to help um, educate and, um, and enlighten some folks about um, various issues, in- including systemic racism in America and um, a lot of the uh, circumstances and underlying issues that uh, exist in, in the world still. So um, um, hold on to your hats. We have a great conversation coming up and um, have an open mind and I'm looking forward to uh, this fantastic conversation with Sam Hosey and Tom Crawford. Well all right here we go we got another episode of Taking the Next Level we have Tom Crawford here with us again. Hey Tom. Great to be back with you Luke man we're on a roll man we had a little gap in time you know COVID-19 set us back but now we hit two in a row man this is all good. I love it I love it. I love seeing you uh, um, embracing technology here Tom. Yeah I do it kicking and streaming trust me <laughs> yeah well first I have my my uh, my daughters are home from Chicago they've been furloughed so they're getting me through technology wise with things like zoom and skype and all that good stuff so well that's great. Been, well that's that's great I'm, I'm glad i'm glad i'm glad to hear your voice and and uh and to see you too hey we got um uh we got an awesome dude here today we got a dude. guy his name is sam hosey um sam i've been trying to think about um the the best way to uh, to bring you in to describe you i'm just gonna say that um uh sam is a um for lack of a better term he's a uh badass community uh champion and um yes. you know he he helps he helps very folks. good he is the ultimate community man yeah i think I so i think so and so um um uh, we're really glad to have you on man man luke thank you so much tom uh thank you for the opportunity just to sit and talk it's been forever really so uh, yes. looking forward to just hanging out now before we before we uh we get into everything i i um i understand that um uh you and tom have some history and it's been a minute since you guys have uh, have caught up right <laughs> it has it has man our, our paths have intertwined sort of in the sports world yeah uh, going, going back at least 20 years uh you know on radio locally well, yeah like 2000 like I, I i was telling luke that sam i think when you call it the chairman who is who is a, <laughs> a pretty renowned expert in sports local sports michigan you know intercollegiate sports the chairman would call uh, the drive with Jack and Tom. Actually, yeah, it was dri- the drive with Jack and Tom. At that time, I'm trying to think our name of our show was uh, uh, the Sports Page with Jack and Tom. Yep. yep. Uh, we had over um, at 92.1. It was 92.7. It went to 92.1. It was just a lot of that. That was the ultimate sense of community. D- didn't you feel like we were checking in with each other every morning? And you always brought yep. such solid. Uh, content you and, and the late Jerry Pecora who just passed away sadly oh, um, man, a couple months that. ago yeah Jerry from Hazlitt yep. and Chairman were two of our you know Hall of Fame callers Mark Dotson is another yep. the dot man and um, yep. that just I mean I, I mean Joanne P McCauley told me once who was a former Michigan State women's coach says man you guys are the ultimate you give everybody a sense of community that show and you were a big part of that Stan. Yeah, thanks, man. I mean, yeah, it was. We knew each other, and whenever you had the shows on on location, yeah, you know, you know we try to swing by wherever you yeah. were, yes, uh, just to you know hang out and talk sports. And then you being the Michigan guy, and I covered you know MSU sports. Yeah, there there was a lot of trash talk, but you know I'm <laughs> it was, but it, but it was a kind, it was it was it was it was a kindly type of trash talk. Oh, yeah. respectful. Oh, oh, oh yeah, always, always. Yes. And then we both had, you know, love for East Lansing, you know. Yes, the, yes. The, the Trojans. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So, East, so. Well, my kids, well, I went to Lansing Eastern, but my kids all went and played sports at East Lansing High, and, and right. I, I love East Lansing High. I'm a Trojan right. through and through, absolutely. Yeah. Just like you two dudes are. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, all, all of those times just, uh, it, make me, it makes me smile, and, and uh, we had some, some definite – 
debates and, and heated moments, but at the same time, it was all in love <laughs> and, and all in fun. You know, it's what guys do, kind of, you know? It's, yeah, it's a guy thing. We yeah. get in arguments. Guys, we, we typically uh, forgive each other in about 18 to 20 seconds. It's all past. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It wasn't that deep. No, yeah. I love this. I love this. I'm, I'm just here to bring you guys together, man. <laughs> the people connector. Uh, thanks, thanks, Luke. Appreciate you. <laughs> well, listen. Uh, let's for the audience listening. Why don't you introduce yourself, Sam, and, and tell us a little bit about about who you are, um, a little bit about your background, and um, and what you're up to right now. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, I'm a local guy. Um, you know, born and raised East Lansing. Graduated. Uh, went to LCC. Went to Northwood. Um, and so I'm, I'm, it's all through my blood, just the whole greater Lansing area, you know, East Lansing and all of that. Um, you know, definitely spent a lot of time on the sports beat, you know, high school sports and recruiting and, uh, Michigan state and big 10 and all th things like that. Did some work for Spartan mag and prep spotlight and the Lansing state journal and, uh, you know, just a, a, a wide variety of things. But, um, you know, after kind of getting away from sports, I, I've really kind of just dove into the community, just seeing need, uh, needs that are there. Um, you know, being a father, too, I think has made a difference. So I've done a lot of coaching of youth basketball. Um, you know, my, my kids went to the Okemos uh, schools for uh, for a while and uh, moved over to East Lansing, I don't know, six, seven years ago. I can't remember how long. Um, so anyway... I've been really active just kind of in the community and, um, and, and as of late, really just really wanted to dive in to make a difference um, around families, around uh, at-risk youth um, as possible, you know, as much as possible. So uh, I'm a board member for uh, Child and Family Charities, uh, which basically focuses on sort of those at-risk youth, um, you know, and it oversees things like um, the Angel House uh, there in Mason with uh, the Mother Baby Center, um, Teen Court for and Juvenile Justice, things along those lines. So um, doing work there. Also, um, I serve as the uh, president of the board of uh, East Lansing Info, kind of the local news uh, outlet. And, uh, you know, I, I love the news and reporting and journalism. So um, I've just been able to kind of pivot a little bit out of sort of the sports only world into sort of a more collective uh, you know, view on just kind of helping bring people the news. And since the internet has sort of kind of killed our newspapers a little bit, um, there's sort of uh, spaces and openings. So I've been able to kind of uh, pivot into helping out with East Lansing Info. And then also um, another organization called the EDJA Foundation, EDJA. And that has a unique uh, mission. And uh, basically it takes... Uh, girls who have been um, sexually assaulted and abused in Uganda, actually. And um, and if you, you know, know anything about it, <clears throat> over there, it, AIDS and HIV is uh, an epidemic. And uh, what you have a lot of the times is um, in those nations and those countries, they believe that if you um, have sex with a virgin, you'll be cured of AIDS. So the, the issue and the problem is that you have these men who are predators preying on girls. And I'm not talking oh. about, you know, uh, you know, 18 year olds. I'm talking about five, six year old girls are being raped by their fathers, oh, their geez. grandfathers. Oh. And so um, it's, it's a horrible situation. So the Edge of Foundation actually works uh, with another organization called Inyaka. And they take these girls in and put them in an orphan orphanage um, because a lot of these children have lost their parents to AIDS. Um, and things like that. So I've been able to do quite a bit, um, you know, just in helping raise money or whatever is possible. So uh, I, I keep really busy, but it's all hopefully for the benefit of, uh, you know, society, really. So. Now, now, with EDGA, are you, um, you said you were a board member. Is this a, a local chapter or is this at the national level? It's, it's really at a national level because the founders live here. Uh, oh. The founder lives in, oh, in the Lansing okay. area. Um, so, uh, Tabitha uh, Curry, she's actually the uh, one who kind of founded it just a few years ago and has really been building and building and building. And so she still lives in the Lansing area. And so I, I connected with her through one of the local churches and uh, we've kind of built a relationships uh, around some of the uh, organi organizing and, and fundraising for it. So 
So I have a question for you about Edja that I'm going to hold until until later on because I think it's going to uh, it'll unpack a lot more of um, a later discussion. Um, sure. But um, so you're you're involved with Edja, you're involved with child and family charities, um, EL Info. I know you know based upon your you know your your career background, um, you know everything kind of journalism. You're that that's definitely up your alley. And then. Um, and then uh, tell, tell me about a little bit about um, uh, what you're doing at your um, your day job um, with the, um, the Employer Resource Network. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I work uh, for AF Group, formerly known as Accident Fund, um, and I'm the co-chair of the uh, Black Employee Resource Network. And basically, it's our mission there is to uh, build an environment that helps and facilitates the hiring um, the retention and promotion of uh, black employees and all allies. So uh, we've put in a number of initiatives. Uh, we have a book club. Uh, we have a professional learning series um, and things of that nature. And we put on large scale events within uh, the organization, which is a subsidiary of Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um, so uh, we're connected to our parent company and a parent organization as well. But basically uh, try to help with the programming uh, that helps uh, attract employees because, and as we'll talk about later, there are issues and deficits, um, you know, throughout our, our culture in, in the United States and, and throughout the world. There are just deficits and the metrics bear that out in any way that you want to look at. So um, just trying again, do what I can to, uh, you know, operate on the sort of sphere of influence that I have. So uh, that's kind of the other thing that uh, I'm heavily involved in. You know, Sam, I want to uh, dovetail off what you said. You know, you just described a, a horrific situation, you know, uh, just a few minutes ago, and then compounded with what we've just gone through in the last 10 days and counting. And, yeah. Um, and, and actually for the last 400 years and, and counting, let's just say it that way. I mean, do you have these overwhelming moments like this is never going to get fixed in my lifetime? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of uh, something that uh, I'm resigned to. And uh, and I say that only because, um, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Right. Right. And, and a lot of these things, you just have to make incremental progress. And so if you can move the needle, then I think it's incumbent upon you to, to do that. So uh, the way that I kind of look at it is. Yeah, maybe we won't totally eradicate certain things, you know, racism, uh, the wealth gap, you know, all, all these kinds of things in one day. But if we can make things a little bit better for you know our children and my grandchildren, you know, I have a grandson now, um, wow. you know, if if uh, if we can do those things, then I'm all for it. So that's the way I, I sort of uh, look at it, that, so that you don't get overwhelmed with yes. you know frustration, which is easy to do. For sure. There are some days that, yeah, I, I, I just kind of want to yell at this guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, so. well, you know, that's, that's a really good way uh, to describe it, though, because I think, um, you know, uh, what, I hear, what I heard you say was that you know, you're, you're a realist. You understand what, you know, what it's going to take, and it's, it's not going to be an overnight change, but you also aren't, aren't making it um, um, drag you down so much to paralysis. I think it's important just almost for your sanity, um, your mental health, that if you kind of obviously throw yourself into different initiatives and projects to try to make a difference, understand that it's finite, you know, and that your platform is going to be limited unless, you know, you are, you know, uh, one of our politicians or a famous entertainer or something like that, um, you know, the way our society is sort of crafted, um, you know, you're going to have limitations. And so... All you can do is, is what you can do and try to organize and and chime in and, you know, just throw resources, time, energy and your passion into whatever it is that, you know, is making a difference. You know, Sam, I, I think uh, and I've, I've communicated this with a number of people, um, blacks and whites in the last um, few days, including my son, who recruit who's, who's a college football assistant coach and recruits. Um, black families in South Florida, and and he made a really good point about the fact that people are so uncomfortable talking about this whole issue, glaring issue, which is going on. And and you you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. 
In other words, I, I had a, a podcast with my good friend Richard Ralph, who used to play football or basketball at, Mich at the University of Michigan. Oh, yeah. And uh, we had the most candid, down-to-earth conversation uh, because, you know, we, we understand and appreciate each other's perspectives on that situation. But what, moving forward, I mean, was, was the George Floyd thing, was that the defining moment that actually could give us that enough is enough moment? Or is it going to be just like another mass shooting that we go through and then four to six days from now we'll forget about it and it goes into the court? I, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I will say that this one is a little bit different. And, and the reason that I say that is because some of the actual movers and shakers um, are, are actually chiming in. Um, you know, not just locally. I, I've had conversations with, you know, some uh, community leaders here. Um, but uh, beyond, even in, in, in the, uh, you know, entertainment industry, some politicians, you know, you kind of feel that the tenor is a little bit different here and, and they're going to look at some real systemic change because that's what is required to change, you know, systemic oppression. Um, so whether we're talking about, um, you know, and we have our, our basic fundamental institutions, we have, you know, our educational system, we have our banking finance system, uh, you know, we have, um, you know, our politics, criminal justice and policing, our, our media and entertainment. Um, we have all these ma major pillars and these things have remained the exact same um, for their full you know, existence uh, in our society. And basically they were maintained or built to maintain social order. Whether we're talking about policing and criminal justice, it was to provide comfort and protection uh, for white citizens. Um, and that's literally how it was birthed. It, you know, if you want to go even further back, you know, with the slave catchers and uh, things of that nature. So you have that history that's there and there's never been a fundamental change. There is no police act of 1943 that changed how uh, policing is done. It, it was done to uh, maintain social order, to ensure that the people who were on top, that's white people and, you know, the wealthier white people at that, but white people on top, black people on the bottom. That's pretty much how it's been. And if you were in the wrong neighborhood or if you were, um, you know, just in the wrong space or place, uh, you could be arrested or worse. And, and that's fundamentally how it's been. Um, you know, our entertainment industry, the first, you know, Oscar uh, for Gone with the Wind, um, you know, was for playing a mammy. You know, it wasn't playing, right. uh, you know, a scientist or, or right. someone who was brilliant. It was you know, feeding these racial stereotypes and these tropes and our entertainment and our athletics has remained the same. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we have football and basketball who, uh, you know, 70, 75% of it is black. Yeah. However, our coaches that are, you know, make, you know, millions and millions of dollars a year, you know, whether you're talking collegiate or professionally, um, the owners of our professional franchises, right. you know, the, the NAAs are uh, in, the NCAA, uh, right. you know, getting billions of dollars off of primarily black athletes. I mean, it, all of this, it, it maintains the same social order. And, yeah. and and so it's why it's it's all fundamentally working as it was intended. Uh, and so that's why I, I can't even say it's broken. Uh, I think it works just exactly how it was intended. So we yeah. have to really, really dig deep if we want to make systemic change. But that doesn't make it right. I mean, it's wrongly. Yes. That's all. Sure. Yes. I, I think I, I, I totally agree. I think I think yeah. one of the um um one of the things that that um you commonly hear as as um uh, an attempted rebuttal to to a lot of what you what you just said, Sam, is um, where people will say, um, well, no, that's not what 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 the world is like today, you know, <laughs> or or they'll say something to the effect of. Um, well, that might be true in some areas, but not here. You know, you know I just had a conversation um, earlier today where I, I talked with, um, you know, um, uh, someone that, um, that that you and I both know, uh, Tom. I think you might know him too, but uh, he's an East Lansing guy, um, uh, and uh, Mel Island. And he um, he and I were talking about, you know, like like, hey, what have you ever had somebody t say to you, or or have you ever heard this this <laughs> notion of 
Um, well, you've, you've, ne- you've never really experienced these things because you grew up in East Lansing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. People, you. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'll, I'll go back to yesterday. Um, I'm walking in the neighborhood. Um, I, I live kind of in the East Lansing Meridian Township border area. And um, just walking with my wife, we, we take a walk every day since we're all kind of quarantined, still uh, working from home. And and we happen to see a, a banana oh, on the sidewalk. Right over at Patriot Park. I heard all about it. Well, see, that's the thing. That I'm in a different area. I'm not even over there. I'm over uh, further towards Oakland's. Um and, and I see a banana and I was like, huh. And there was something, you know, written on it. And we walk a little further, see another one. Yeah. And then I finally look down and I see it says uh, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So news and, item today, local yeah, news. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, which is obviously a racist trope uh, for comparing black people to monkeys or right. apes or what have you using yes. bananas. We walk again and see a third one. So, um, yeah, good old East Lansing. Um, uh, it, it's, it's everywhere in, in, in but, but you, know, you know, let me pipe in though, because, uh, as a Lansing Eastern guy, um, we, we almost, we were going to move into East Lansing, but my dad, who was, a he, he worked for the state department of education, didn't want me to go to East Lansing because it was all white and Lansing Eastern had that literally worldly blend of the ratios were in Matt, were more in sync to what it should, you know, it was in America. And and so East Lansing was all white school. But what I sent my kids to East Lansing because by the time they in the ninety or they started going to school, you know, nineteen ninety six, ninety seven, East Lansing public schools K through five, it was just a multicultural school district. It was terrific. I mean, there were multiple languages being right. being uh, communicated. There were kids from the Sudan there. And so I went to East Lansing because of diversity, which is a huge shock to me 20 years prior when I was at Eastern and East Lansing was just a bunch of rich white kids. <laughs> so you yeah. had to make some progress there, though. There, there has been, you know, um, in my family's history, uh, we were, you know, before I was even born, one of the first black families to move to East Lansing in 1969. Oh, you know, because right? Yeah, because the Fair Housing Act passed in April of 68, right, right after King was assassinated. Yeah. So so now black families can start to move in. So that's when, like, Andy Wells' family moved in and, you know, a, a handful of others. And, and my family moved January of 1969 um, to East Lansing. So, um, what was that like for you? Um, well, I wasn't even born at the time. Oh, but, okay, okay. But, but obviously I've heard the stories. My, my father said that, um, you know, <laughs> He was cutting grass, uh, you know, when they had first moved in and somebody walks up to him. Hey, how much do you charge? Um, because oh. because my dad didn't belong there. Right. right. Um, and so but he moved and my mom moved um, right around the time that um, they were plowing 496 through the black neighborhood. Right. Um, you know, because they lived over there on the west side. So they, they, they moved out, wanted, um, you, know, you know, different school districts. And they were willing to sort of deal with what they knew would be racism. But uh, to East Lansing's credit, my experience, and not just in in terms of the the student population wasn't very diverse, but the teachers were diverse. So um, I had eight black teachers and three uh, Hispanic or Latinx uh, teachers during my time. But then once I graduated, the teachers seemed to dissipate, the teachers of color. But the student population seems to diversify. So right. uh, it hasn't quite gotten that right ratio and that right blend <laughs> yeah, yet. Right. So. Yeah, interesting. Well, so I, um, I read about um, uh, some of your, um, your, your dad's experiences because you um, uh, do a really um, wonderful job of, of sharing um, your stories and your family stories. And, um, um, you know, one of the things that, um, that you shared is um kind of your um your son's um research and kind of awakening and and learning about this area and and it's um you know not so great past um and things that have um um uh, that's directly affected affected your your family um and tell us a little bit more about that and tell and and tell us how that came about sure 
um, uh, honestly, <laughs> we went through quite a few things when we um, the kids were still in Okemos schools. We transferred away from Okemos schools because my kids kept getting called the N-word, um, getting called Grease Monkey and all this crazy stuff, right? Oh, wow. You know, but they're in third grade, fourth and fifth grade. You know, it's, it's not, you know, so obviously, and they're getting called by their peers. So this stuff was obviously coming from somewhere. And so I tried to um, meet with the parents of these children who were th- throwing these, you know, racial epithets at my kids. Naturally, all of them are cowards and didn't want to do that. Uh, I, I tried to go through the school district, met with, um, you know, the superintendent at the time, uh, Catherine Nash. She didn't uh, want to really intervene. And so it was sort of like, well, if you're not going to protect my kids, uh, then I guess I'm going to have to make uh, a change. So we transferred the boys to uh, East Lansing <clears throat> schools after that. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, the background. Um, but in the meantime, um, my wife and I realized that we had to now start talking to our children, educating our children. Um, and we had them, you know, watch movies and documentaries and start reading a little bit to sort of understand uh, the dynamics of what was happening. Also around that time, Mike Brown, Michael Brown got killed in Ferguson, Missouri, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so my uh, kids started to see and just watch the news a little bit. And so once we came to, uh, you know, East Lansing and then the Colin Kaepernick stuff and and his protests, um, they really, really started to just pay attention and they started to notice different things. So one of my sons, uh, Alex, uh, Luke is the one that you're referring to, Alex Hosey, um, without talking to us, decided to protest the national anthem. And, um, and so when he did that, um, as a freshman in high school, mind you, he came, uh, you know, the coach came to us and said, Hey, what's this about? And, you know, we had a conversation and then we started to talk to Alex. He was like, well, I understand you're frustrated and you're upset, but understand that if you're going to protest, you need to have an ask. You can't just protest out of anger, um, or else, uh, a certain segment of the population isn't going to hear you. And, and granted you aren't the president, so you don't have a, a platform to make uh, systemic change necessarily, but you can do a few things. So think about whatever it is, you know, pray about whatever it is that you want to do and, you know, search your heart and, uh, you know, and, and write an essay and sort of describe, you know, where you're coming from and then what, what do you want? And so, uh, he came up with, uh, asking for an apology for the racism that uh, the city of East Lansing participated in blocking and barring black people from the area, from the city until it was, you know, mandated or federally legislated. Um, You know, if if you go to Hannah, the building, you know, the old middle school, my old middle school, you'll see it has those pictures, for example, of the soldiers, the hall of, um, uh, you know, those soldiers there, they're all white. Well, the reason they're all white, because they're East Lansing citizens, but during World War II, the whole city was white. So naturally, they're going to be all white. And that's why that whole display, because I asked about it. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, one of those things. So that's just an example of kind of how the systemic, uh, you know, racism impacted locally. So he asked for an apology and we met with the mayor at the time and uh, city council and they passed a resolution uh, and apologized for racism. The other thing that he asked for was to have, uh, you know, our history in East Lansing taught in the East Lansing School District Mm. to have, um, you know, uh, the systemic racism and things that people endured uh, throughout East Lansing, um, you know, up until now. And so now there is a curriculum that is taught in the high school uh, that my son had, you know, input in uh, to really target certain things. These uh, those covenants, uh, you know that disallowed black people and people of color to live in East Lansing and own property and all that. It's now taught in the East Lansing uh, school district. So I think all of those things are wonderful and I'm proud of him for taking a stand. I definitely didn't uh, put him up to it because, um, you know, there can be blowback, but he still protests to uh, this day. I don't know what he'll do because it's his choice as he enters his senior year, but uh, that's just an example of, of, uh, you know, what he did. And well, let's have Amel Island take us into a break.
Sam, uh, you know, I, I think the East Lansing should have followed a better lead to Michigan State University with, with, with what Duffy Doherty had done to integrate his college football program in the mid-60s, going down to, to Texas and recruiting uh, African-Americans. One of the first schools uh, north of the Mason-Dixon line, or, uh, uh, or, you know, or that's where the blacks were able to play college football. And it's, it's surprising that East Lansing, the city, took so long to, you know, foul behind a, a gap between what Michigan State was doing at the time. Yeah, you could you think of it as that way, but the way America and our society is constructed, um, it's fine. And again, back to that social order thing, it's fine if you're an athlete to entertain. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but do I do I really want you living next to me? Yeah, and, and you're and right. There's there, that's a whole nother uh, conversation and yeah. deal. So um, definitely, yeah. Hey, I'll cheer for you. But you yeah. stay in your place in the social order. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, good, very good point. Um, you know, Sam, that that reminds me because just I I I want to um, inject just a, uh, a shade of levity into here. But but what you just said reminded me of um, you know uh, um, uh, something that Chris Rock said during during a standup when he was describing um, kind of the state of things of of and the difference between. Um, um, wealth for um, uh, for African Americans in America versus everybody else, and he's talking about how you know, um, for example, um, Jay Z, who is arguably the um, greatest um, rap artist ever, arguably, right? right. And uh, and he lives in this neighborhood uh, amongst all these mansions. Um, and who's his neighbor? Um, a uh, a doctor, not the greatest doctor in the in the history of the country. Um, who lives next door to him, a lawyer, not the greatest lawyer who's ever, you know, just a lawyer, a doctor, you know. And so and, and I thought that that kind of drove drove uh, a point home so powerfully to me that that I, I, not only was it eye opening, but it was, uh, but he did it in a very amusing way. And I think what you're saying um, uh, kind of echoes that as well. Yeah. Well, one of the things in, in the black community and, and anybody uh, who's watching or watches, you know, will understand uh, we were raised that you had to be twice as good um, to just be average. So if, if you're going to be the president of the United States and be black, then you had to be, you know, a, a Harvard grad and, you know, go to law school and graduate at the top of your class. And you have to be uh, extraordinary. Um, whereas if you're white, you can be average and and live a, a wonderful <laughs> and have a wonderful existence. And so all of those kinds of things make it really, really challenging. Um, but getting, getting to the athletic uh, or kind of what you were talking about, um, the, the wealth, black people are about 14% of our population in the United States, but we control 1.5% of the wealth. Um, in addition, the Hispanic population in the United States is about 17% and they control about two, two and a half percent of the wealth. So we have 30, 31% of the population, about a third of our population that controls 4% of the wealth. And so when you put things into context for people who always say, oh, it's not that bad, actually it is. And, and so when people like to, you know, oh, you, you get free lunch and you get all these benefits and programs, it's, it's not that simple. Um, and, and people miss out on, we live in a capitalistic society. And without capital, you can't change things. Mm -hmm. You can't change laws. You can't change policy. Um, and the way that policy exists, it's never in your favor. It, look at how we fund our schools. It's based on property tax and wealth and capital. Well, we know during white flight, all of the money left the cities, went to the suburbs. So what does that do when you pull all those resources out of the cities? They're going to decay and degrade. And what's going to happen in the suburbs? You get brand new schools every 20, 30 years, every generation or so. Um, this is how it is. And honestly, if you think of it, it that's a Jim, Jim Crow policy that is still in existence because we basically take the wealth and we hold on to it um, as long as the blacks don't benefit from it. So. Um, it, it's tough to have these conversations, but this is where we are in society. And this is why things are the way that they are. And people are frustrated. Um, you know, 
not only do black people and brown people exist on the bottom financially, but then we get policed harder and get roughed up. So, yeah, I, I have to work two or three jobs sometimes. And uh, and then I'm going to get pulled over for driving while black, too. Yeah. But you ex- but you expect me to say, how you doing, officer? I'm having a great day when I just want to get home. Uh, I-, I don't want to, you know, uh, have to deal with living paycheck to paycheck. But I do because our education is inferior for people of color and the job uh, prospects are inferior. You've heard about the resume, you know, tests where you have the exact same resume, but because the name sounds uh, black versus Anglo, um, you know, on and on and on. It, it's a system, and it and it works the way it was designed to. You know, Sam. What? what, what let's just let's just uh, look at twenty twenty moving forward. We're here in June. What, let's just say by the end of the year, is there going to be any metric that you can look at that will say, "Hey, maybe we just did have the defining moment, and things are going to get better." Is there anything you're any benchmark, anything you're going to look at that you will say you will see progress glaring at you or not? Um, it, it's almost impossible because of COVID to look yeah. at our metrics. Mm-hmm. Everything true. is so skewed right now. Okay, well then go 2021. After we get out of COVID, I mean, we, you know, what, what's the first thing you're going to say that you can actually believe within yourself that, hey, it's finally, we're, we're finally, the, 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 the direction is we're in the right direction. Sure. Um, you could look at the unemployment statistic. Historically, for as long as they've kept that statistic since the 1930s, black people's unemployment rate has always been double that of white people. Okay. If those were ever the same or close, you know, because I hear oftentimes politicians, you know, unemployment for blacks is as low as it's ever been. But it's still twice that of white people, you know, And, and, and it just has always been that way. If we ever tackle things like that, uh, you know, and I, and I mentioned the wealth gap. If we could ever start to eat away at that, um, if we ever started to look at some of the uh, wellness and health metrics, um, health insurance, if it was more evenly distributed, um, you know, and COVID, again, has taught us that black people are at the very bottom uh, and they're more right. sickly. Uh, right. You know, any metric that you can name, life expectancy for black people is less than that of white citizens. On and on and on, there's a number of, of, of things that we could look to and look at um, that could point to progress. So uh, a lot of people like to say, oh, you're just exaggerating. You're just making that up. Um, you know, whether it's police stops, um, whether it's uh, mass incarceration, you know, black men make up six or 7% of our population, but make up 40% of our, our prison. You know, come on, really? Um, wow. You know, that's a problem. Uh, And so until we really want to have these real conversations and look at some of these numbers, then, uh, you know, we're going to continue to exist as we are. So um, so those are some of the metrics that I would look at. Um, But again, because of covid, the economic ones especially are are, are a mess right now. It's a loss here. Right. Uh, And I think I think, Tom, those those things are are impacted by so many di- other variables as well that even even without covid you know like uh, a one year span i don't think would would really move the needle as much as it as it really needed to you know what i mean right well i just want to see uh, an, an, an indicator you know a glimmer you know that's that we're headed in the right direction is where i frame that well yeah, and, I- and i think maybe one of the ways to um um, and maybe this is this is a question for you for you, Sam, too, is is going back to your very first question, Tom, is that, you know, what was it about this moment that um, seemed to galvanize people and what realistically can we expect out of it that might start to turn the tide? Because that's really what we're looking for. Right. Because we know that all those things aren't going to really compound itself in a um in a truly demonstrable way um, by December 31st, 2020. But you know what? It's been going on. I'm not, you know, it's been going on, Sam will attest, you know, for, for multiple years. The only thing, the only thing different now, guys, is you have a, an iPhone capturing that. And, and it's with social media as a platform of distribution. People see the eight minutes and 46 seconds vividly over and over and over. 
it's it's been going on and it continues to go on. The fact that it is finally it was exposed was what makes this situation and the graphicness of it versus other situations, in my opinion. I won't disagree um, that we now capture these things, you know, on the phone. I have plenty of stories of interactions with law enforcement, um, you know, that are just bizarre. I'll give you a quick anecdote. Um, about 15 years ago, um, my kids were really young. Uh, so these are in the, the sports days you know, for, for me, Tom. Right. Um, I had gotten laid off of my job at the time. And, and so... Uh, I think I got I got a traffic ticket or something like that, and so we were trying to, you know, scramble and 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 put things together, and so I wasn't able to pay one of my traffic tickets, um, and so anyway, it ended up uh, becoming a bench warrant, and uh, because it became a bench warrant, um, the police actually you know could come in and, and collect. So, ten o'clock at night, get this banging on my door. I'm kind of like, who's banging on my door at 10 o'clock at night? Go to the door, two officers. They say, we have a bench warrant for your arrest. Mind you, it's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm, and there's two officers showing up at my door. You know, they have on leather gloves. Like, Oh, like, my word. Like, what is this? So I, I see the warrant. I read it. I was like, yeah. I'll, and they said, you have to pay this now or we're going to take you to jail. So uh, I said, okay. They barged their way into my house. Right. And I'm just kind of standing there surrounded by these two officers. And I, I you know, said, OK, well, let me see if I have the money, which I had some. But I went to my looking for my wallet again. I'm kind of tired. You know, it's late at night. And uh, I turned my head to like, oh, maybe it's over there. Mind you, they're still right behind me and on the side of me. Right. And I, and I, I turned my head quickly. One of the officers, the other officer behind me jumps to where I look. And, and holds his hands out to, like, grab me um, as if I was going to do something. I said, hold on, hold on. I said, I got babies in the house. Nobody's about to do anything stupid. Just calm down. Uh, and I have to de-escalate uh, a, a crazy situation. Damn. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, you have to be the adult in the room, basically. Exactly. And and had I been nervous or, you know, moved, I guess, quickly again, mm-hmm. it probably would have ended a lot different, scared my wife and kids, traumatized them seeing their father getting taken down by the police on and on and on uh long to shorten the story i had uh, some money my wife had some money we sort of cropped it together and 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 paid the officers and they left um but that's just an example of 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 like what me as a black man um has had to deal with um you know and maybe to somebody uh you should have paid the ticket in the first place but as i said i was laid off uh if this is in around 2008 you know, 2007, somewhere in there. Not, so, a, not a good time. Yeah, that was a bad, a bad year. Yeah. Not, not at all. And and so anyway, um, that just kind of, uh, you know, gives you, it encapsulates just how quickly things can escalate and, and get ugly. Um, oh, yeah. So, so that's, anyway. That's, that's real right there, Sam. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the George Floyd situation, I think it's a perfect storm of a few things, right? I think... You know, the COVID thing has everybody on edge. Being quarantined has everybody on edge. Um, and then seeing this, you know, yeah. we, we saw the Ahmaud Arbery thing, uh, you know, take place. And um, and all these things are blatant, right? right. And, and they're obvious. And so people are already, already kind of emotional already. And then you see this and it's just kind of, okay, yeah, th- maybe there is a problem. You know, that like some people are just having their grand awakening. Whereas black people, we've kind of been like, oh, welcome to the party, you know, um, you know, but but it it is, you know, kind of what it is in in our society and locally, you know, the superintendent at Grand Ledge. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. yeah, You know, it's it's all the same. You know, these bananas laying around, you know, I mean, it's just what it is in in our society. And and so I I appreciate anyone who's having their epiphany and, and waking up to kind of what's going on. But I can't say that it'll change things systemically until people start to vote, uh, you know, differently and look for different policy changes and law changes to how things are done and really break apart some of these fundamental institutions, including our social 
uh, our, our policing and our criminal justice systems. That's just one of many. We have to break apart our athletics and, and you know, people get upset when, you know, they're getting a free education. That's enough. Well, again, black people only have 1.5% of the, the, the wealth in this country. So, you know, a, a free education is great and all, but people are still hurting back home. Right. Uh, you, you know, so their situation is going to be vastly different than someone else who may be from the suburbs. So we have to kind of look at things a lot differently. Yeah, that's a, well point. said, Sam. Well said. Um, you know, one of the things that, that um, um, I wanted to ask you was, was how are you right now um, balancing your, your own feelings with, um, you know, you have all these all these folks, all these white folks who um, um, are having, as you said, their epiphany. And, um, you know, I've heard instances of people um, being stopped on, on the street and, and getting apologies and saying, hey, you know, how are you feeling right now? And trying to, and basically, and, and I don't want to diminish what they're, what they're trying to do, but what I, but I think one of the things is, is, and someone had said this to me too, is that like, you know, um, you're realizing something that I've been going through my entire life and I don't really necessarily have the time to basically help um, manage your feelings about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not my job. No. Um, I mean, honestly, Luke, Tom, um, personally, you know, I'm a man of faith and I have a lot of love in my heart uh, for humanity in general. It's, it's why I try to help where I can and when I can. Um, you know, through different, you know, nonprofits and things like that. Um, but I, I definitely feel that people should try to educate themselves. Um, that, that's why I, I think I posted, you know, on, on social media, you know, go to your school, your school board and look at the diversity there and look at your city council and look at the diversity there uh, on your job. Is your job 14 percent, you know, uh, black? Uh, not just in entry level positions, but all the way to the top. Um, you know, it, is are things really fair and just? Uh, look at your public servants. Are are these people uh, of equal representation of you know our society as a whole? And and if it's not, then what can you do in your sphere of influence to uh, move things closer into a more representative uh, ratio in in our society? And, and you'll have to understand that there are good people and bad people. Uh, white people are good and some are bad. Black people, are, some are good and some are bad. Uh, but you can't just broad brush and stereotype. So you have to take people at face value um, and get to know them a little bit. But on your own, try to educate and move the needle in all these different directions. You know, Sam, I think what it's going to do, I mean, a lot, you know, my wife, I mean, white people will say, uh, no, I'm not a racist. Um, I got a lot of black friends, but they're not anti-racist. You know what I mean? They don't. Yes. Fight. Now, if they had got now, it, it, you know, what's going to take is this. White people are going to have to go the school board meetings and, and, and these type of things to fight that. kind. I mean, that's what's going to take. Not just, yes. just not black people fighting for their own cause. White people where we are truly colorblind as a whole unified group go and fight it together then you got something going for you I, I totally agree and that's what has to happen is uh white people people in power the majority have to go to bat to break apart these institutions you know the banking you know we, we look at the ppp loans that were great for some small businesses yeah that's a good C example cbs news put out a report 95 percent of black owned businesses were denied the I, I saw loans. that i, I saw that um, and so that's another example of modern day systemic racism, right? And people are, well, why is that? How, why were they denied? Well, the verbiage in the PPP loans was you had to have a certain number of employees. And a lot of black owned businesses are family owned restaurants. It's a mm -hmm. lot of salons and barbershops um, and things of that nature. And so with that being the case, um, they were excluded or eliminated from those loans. So why were those loans written in such a way that would exclude huge swaths of the people who needed it the most? Um, and that's just another example of white people having to go to, to bat for, you know, black people. And I, I hate it because, you know, uh, I might, you know, 
point something out. Ah, oh, here they go again, complaining again. Mm-hmm. Here they go whining again. Yeah. Um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like it's it's really not whining and complaining. I'm just explaining. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah exactly. That's what it is. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up though, because I think um, one thing that I that I will say, and and I'm not just saying this, Sam. It, I found that um, the way that you have your discourse and 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 talk about these things, I think you do it in a very um, uh, mindful way. I think you do it in a very um, um, uh, neutral manner to point out what um, um, what is true. Um, and then when people um, try to refute you, I think you do a very good job of having a civil discourse with them. Um, and um, uh, and you find a way to ultimately agree to disagree, even though that's really not the way you you handle someone who is being ignorant you know it's it's funny but it goes back to the the adage in the black community that you have to be twice as good yeah you also have to be twice as good in discourse yeah um because uh if you come across as angry or emotional or if anything that you say or do um uh can be refuted then Yep, I don't have to listen to you because what you just said, that one small thing that you said. Right. You lost your credibility. Yep. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, you yelled at me or you got a little bit emotional, so I don't have to listen to you. And so it's forced uh, a lot of black people to be able to have these conversations in a way that um, disarms people. Uh, and so that's what I try to do. And Tom, honestly, having sports arguments sort of prepared me for this <laughs> you know, <laughs> between yes. Michigan and Michigan State. You got to do your homework. Got to do together. Yes. Yeah, because you would get shot down in a minute. Right. Um, but th- this book that um, – so in the book club, in the organization that you know I work, I'm leading our book club uh, with the CEO, who's a white woman, by the way, uh, White Fragility. There is a chapter entitled uh, White Women's Tears. Mm. And um, – it's, it's amazing. Um, the chapter, basically, the premise is when someone has their epiphany, a, a white person in, in a lot of cases has their epiphany, they become overwhelmed with emotion and they're like, I can't believe they're doing this to you people and right. blah, blah, blah. And right. you start crying and now you become the object of empathy and the whole room uh, is focused on you and your plight and your emotionalism. But the real victim is the black person who's exactly. sitting there, you know, just mm. dealing with okay, okay, you, you done crying now? You know, because, yeah. you know, I can give you story after story after story. You know, uh, my father was a, uh, my grandfather, rather, was a cop. Um, it, in his day, you couldn't arrest white citizens. You had to walk over to a, a white officer and say, hey, that white guy over there is committing a crime. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, that our police system has been, you know, racist and corrupt from from the beginning. You know, you know. When, it still is, yeah. Oh, yeah, it, it has. And, and that's just what it is. So there's story after story, anecdote after anecdote. Uh, and, and the data suggests, you know, that there's a major issue. So when someone starts crying because they're having a moment, it, you know, I just, you know, try to be polite, you know, or if they get upset and start yelling, you know, this, that and the other. You just have to be twice as good in the way that, you know, you right. engage in civil discourse and you have to be twice as knowledgeable on these issues. Uh, I grew up in the suburbs. So I have a really good understanding of white culture. Um, right, that's true. Know, even though my father's people are from Mississippi, <clears throat> my mom was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Um, you know, so I've heard the stories, uh, you know, directly firsthand from my parents of how things were in the South. Um, but at the same time, they tried to instill into us, you know, to be loving as, as much as possible, but mm-hmm. really know your stuff and be, you know, prepared to defend yourself you know, in debate and, and if needed else uh, otherwise. So good stuff. Yeah. It's fantastic, Sam. Um, well, wh- I left a, uh, a question out in the, uh, in the beginning and I want to, um, get back to that because I think it's, it's, um, it fits more into this conversation is, um, why, why don't we hear and hear more about, about organizations like, um, um, What's what's it called again? Gadja? Oh, Edja. Edja, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I, I gotta tell you, that's. I mean, uh, I I feel like I I have heard of that before, but it doesn't get a lot of 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 press. And 
the fact that it is actually headquartered here, it blows, blew my mind. I mean, um, and I feel like this is something that um, um, should get more play and that, that um, uh, especially people in this, in, in this community should be, should be more aware of. Well, um, kind of what we're talking about, um, our institutions, the media, you know, sports and, and entertainment, our judicial, judicial uh, system, our government, um, anything you want to name, our, it insulates, um, you know, and, and protects social order, right? And so you've heard of the bubble that a lot of people live in. Yeah. And, and you know, it's like, you know what, I don't want to hear about this race stuff. You know, I, I had a, a good friend that I used to work with say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with Facebook. I'm going to get off of here because, you know, it's just too much for me. Um, I can't take it. And and he can, you know, unplug and just, you know, love his family yeah, and, right. and work his job. And he, you won't, yeah. <laughs> he, won't, he, he won't have to worry about getting stopped, you know, right. while driving while white. You know, he, he won't have to, um, you know, have his resume thrown in the garbage because, you know, he can afford to do that. Me, I can't because I have black sons. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a black man. And, and so I have to stay, you know, on, on the front line, so to speak, um, because I can't afford to do that. So for an organization like EJA, we all know that there's evil in this world and, and things that are happening. But if you don't want to know, um, you don't have to know. Mm. Um, and, and that's, you know, kind of the way that it works. You know, people know when something is corrupt and, you know, you hear stories, but ah, they're just exaggerating. Ah, it's not that bad. Um, but it really is that bad. Um, and I, I asked someone online the other day, do you really think that this many people for generations have been exaggerating what they've been facing and dealing with uh, from right. an economic or an educational or a police brutality perspective? And the person, one word answer, yes. So this person had already has already made up their mind oh, yeah. that, uh, you know, black people are lying and exaggerating yeah. and, you know, the world isn't that bad. So if you don't think the world is that bad, you're not going to go looking for an organization like EDGA or, you know, Child and Family Services or anything like that to support it. Um, and, and as far as I, I get asked the question, how come black people or brown people don't support uh, nonprofits and things like that? As I explained, 1.5% of the wealth, 2 to 2.5% of the wealth, we're living paycheck to paycheck, you know, statistically speaking. Um, so there's not going to be a lot of, you know, uh, resources that can be extended from those communities. Um, those are the ones that are in need because we won't break apart these other institutions that have systematically oppressed them. So um, there's a lot of issues that white people, frankly, have to uh, take on that, that challenge. Well, the white person has never been the minority. I go back to my son recruiting in South Florida in Broward County in Miami-Dade, and he yeah. goes four or five days, and the only white person he sees in those four or five days is in the mirror, okay? Right. He, he told me, he says, Dad, every white person needs to walk in those shoes and, and see what it's like being the true minority. And if they, if they, if they could get that, just experience that, then they have a better appreciation of being a true minority. This, this reflects poorly on our educational system, right? Um, you know, we, we talk about history and, and social studies. We never really truly learned about, you know, the, the, the FDR and all the stimulus packages that were basically released in the 30s which allowed yeah. for white flight in the suburbs to be built yeah. um, and, and how black people were excluded from all of that stimulus money. My father is a veteran. Exactly. He, he couldn't get a VA loan. Why? Because black people weren't allowed or afforded VA loans. So he couldn't right. buy a house. He had to, and he finally, they finally let black people get, you know, the GI bill. So he went to, you know, historically black colleges, you know, worked his, worked his way up, et cetera, et cetera. But he didn't get the benefit of the FHA no. loans that were handed out, you know, in the 30s, uh, excuse me, 40s, right. 50s, and 60s, you know, yeah. black people, our generation, my parents, they were denied all of that stuff. But white people love to say, oh, you got to pull yourself up and work hard. Yeah, but I, <laughs> I know of a lot of people who inherited houses from their parents. Um, and, and I don't know any black people that did, frankly. No. Um, <laughs> and, and, and that's just the way yeah. it was because we were prevented from owning land. Right. Right. Really sad. 
Yeah. So how do uh, how do people find out more about um, Child and Family Services and uh, and EDGA and some of these other organizations that you're a part of, Sam? Yeah, I mean, honestly, you can uh, go to the organization, uh, go to Google, really, and just Google EDGA. That's E-D-J-A, uh, and it's part of another organization called Inyaka, uh, N-Y-A-K-A. Um, but these organizations, you can Google them, Child and Family Services, primarily focuses on the mid-Michigan area. Um, so you can definitely, uh, you know, support, you know, financially, uh, volunteer, um, any, any way that you see fit because um, all these things uh, really help. And even East Lansing Info, um, you know, that, that, you know, it's a nonprofit that you can donate to to help bring news and expose certain things. And um, it, it helps provide a sense of community as well. So any of those things I think uh, would be beneficial. And then I think people should continue to educate themselves. Uh, I had mentioned White Fragility as a great book. Um, you know, being an anti-racist by Ibram Kendi, that's another uh, excellent book that people could, you know, read to just educate themselves. Uh, and, and then from there, just start to take uh, steps towards integrating um, and, and bringing balance, better balance to the companies they work in, the neighborhoods they live in, the school districts their kids go to, et cetera. What, uh, outside of the things that you just mentioned, um, what are some other things that... Um, that we can do, we can all do to be better allies? Um, honestly, helping to have conversations, tougher conversations um, in your families, um, you know, because we all have that, you know, uncle or, you know, grandpa <laughs> or somebody who, uh, you know, you have to put certain things in check sometimes and not allow certain things to continue to, to uh, you know, exist. They have to be challenged. Um, and, and that takes courage. So the, the real thing people can do is to take courage to go to your bosses and your managers and your HR departments and have some tougher conversations. You know, why is my department so white? You know, why is the leadership here all men and so white? You know, um, it, there's a number of things uh, that I think people could and should do to bring better balance. And then you won't have to hear me complaining, you know, <laughs> a, anymore. Um, if you would take on and shoulder some of that load, uh, I think it would make right, a, a big right. difference. Tom? No, I just, you know, in, in my final thought on this, Sam, you're, you're right, because it goes back to that comfort factor. I mean, and, and in conversations I've had this week um, with some black friends of mine, um, is that when you, when you talk to, like, for example, with me, when I'm talking to a fellow white person and the white person says something that, you, that has racial tones to it, don't just ignore it or just don't uh, say, well, I got to get going. Confront them on it right then. Call them right. on it right then. And the, that, exactly. that goes back to that comfort thing or lack thereof, Sam, that you just talked about. And the problem is not, 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 none of us, or not enough of us do that. I mean, I do that. I know others do that, but all of us have to do that because that's that's just it's intolerable to do that to have that happen. I, I totally agree. And and when you look around, uh, everything our our news anchors on TV, um, you know, everything is just disproportionate. Um, and in, in, in terms of our society, and and it's it's really bothersome. So you have to speak out against. Okay, we're we're hiring a new football coach. We're hiring a new basketball coach. Uh, you know, at, at right, one right, of right. these major institutions, we're talking Michigan, Michigan State, who are we looking at as candidates? Um, you know, why are all the university presidents, you know, white or the athletic directors, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and all those kinds of things. Tough questions to ask, but they need to be asked. And then if you don't get good answers, then you need to say, you know what, I can't support um, until you make, you know, better choices and decisions in terms of hiring. Right. You know, we're right. going to withhold our resources. Why is my church so white? Uh, and, and on and on and on. Lansing Catholic, I, I talked to some white friends who were bothered by when the LHS4, uh, you know, protested and how nothing was done. Right. Uh, and, yeah, and, that's a great example. Yes. You, you know, you should, you know, withhold your funding to the church if, if that's what it takes. Obviously, you don't want that. Go have and confront conversation, but you have to be willing to, you know, go that uh, extra mile to, uh, you know, bring about justice. And that, 
again, people are like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't, that bothers me. I'm not comfortable doing that. And again, that's sort of upholding, um, you know, these uh, institutions that we have. So that's why it's, you know, paramount that people have that bravery and that boldness to go at their politicians and representatives and their police force, uh, you know, and, and their banking and financial institutions, you know, are we supporting black owned businesses, you know, with lending? Um, what programs do we have to, you know, lend or to hire or to retain, you know, black employees at my company? Um, you have to look at all of that stuff um, or else, you know, we're going to be having the same old, same old. It can go on and on and on. Yeah, same, exactly. Same exactly. Well said, Sam. I, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. That's been really great. Luke, Tom, I appreciate you both for just the opportunity. It, it's been fun, um, you know, to have maybe a tougher conversation, but yeah. I, yeah. I feel like it's it's all in love because we just want things to uh, end up better, uh, and we don't want to see another George Floyd uh, situation, and, and we want to see everyone uh, grow and thrive in uh, our society, whether uh, you know, you be black, brown, you know, white or whatever. We want everyone to sort of uh, be able to access, have access to the American dream right now. That's not the case. Keep doing what you're doing, Sam. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Luke. Well, what a wonderful conversation we just had with Tom and Sam Hosey. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it and um, took a lot out of it uh, as much as, as I did. And I, I know as much as Tom, Tom got of it. Um, you know, we're always looking to learn, educate ourselves, um, and be educated by um, by people who have been um, um, speaking out about these things. And uh, we thank Sam Hosey for coming on here and having a very real conversation with us. And, um, and we appreciate him. We appreciate everything that he, that he does for all the organizations that he's a part of and for his efforts in, uh, in doing what he does to bring light and education to um um, a lot of these issues um, within the Greater Lansing community and beyond. Um, so again, thank you, Sam Hosey. Thank you guys for um, sticking in and um, you know having open minds, open hearts, and uh, really appreciate you guys as always. Um, it's a tough conversation to have, and I'm glad you guys came along um, for the ride, and I'm glad that you stayed for the conversation. Thank you so much. Continue to subscribe, download, listen to the podcast, wherever you find your podcast, Google, Apple, Spotify, Anchor.fm. Thank you so much. Until next time. <laughs>